we're going to do here is that we are going to be uh, doing what we've been hoping for. How many of you guys are binge washers, Netflix, you, you get through a series in like a, a day, I don't know, uh, you can't stop, you know what I'm saying? Because the thing about that is, is that in doing so, uh, one of the things you know is there's an arc and there should be a culmination of the, the big part of this story. And then we know that there's a next season, so it's a mini thing, right? And it goes on. We have been doing this series on, uh, really been doing this series, switch over my screen if you will, uh, um, Jason. Uh, we've been doing this series on uh, the being equipped. And uh, we have been doing this now 30 weeks. We're starting our 31st week on this series. And um, we have been trying to get to this series that we're starting today. This is the culmination of all that we've been doing for this whole time. And I'll walk into that more, but it's just been something I've been looking forward to as we have been here. By the way, if you have the YouVersion app, you can go there, look under events, and you will see the verses um, from today. Um, but, but what has happened for us is, is that we started this journey way back and said, what does it look like to be a person who is equipped? If we are an equipping church and our desire is to equip the church, what does that look like? So we took six weeks and we looked at this idea of what does it mean uh, to be a disciple? And by the way, I started, I've said this every single time, you will always, till the day God takes you home or he comes back, you will be a disciple. You will always be learning of him, always be learning what you are to do. And then we looked at this idea of what does it mean to be in God's word and the idea of, of what that looks like, right? And so we said we want to understand what that is. And so we said we want to be in God's word. And so we unpacked that. Now, and by the way, I'm going to do this quickly because we're about to do a whole recap. And then we looked at this idea of servant, um, well, the idea that God calls us to be a servant, and we looked at this idea of prayer, how prayer is so essential, and what this thing that we're looking for. And then for the last six weeks, we uh, have done this kingdom series. But right before that, we did this idea of sacrifice. And we had you guys look at that idea of what God calls a sacrifice. And today, we are looking at this idea of discipler. We're looking at this idea of what does it mean that God would move us to a place where we would be a discipler. So, that's what we want to get us to. That God is desiring for each person who comes to know him will be a disciple. But because of his word, because of being a servant, because of prayer, because of sacrifice, you will one day then turn to a discipler. That's our hope. That's our uh, goal. So let's go back. I want to give us a recap of how we got here and why this is so significant. And then next week, we're going to really talk into this idea, specifically even talking about your inner circle. Remember, we're not trying to get you to think that you've got to go and, and be a missionary overseas, although may God may call you to that. We're trying to say, who are the 8 to 15 people God has in your life that you can say, listen, because of my time in, in, in his word, because of my time in prayer, because I want to sacrifice, because I want to serve, I want to reach into this inner circle. So, again, we start off as a disciple. John 1 verse 12 says this, But to all who did receive him, and that is the, the key. Our hope as a church is that you will receive him. If you haven't yet, our desire is to lead you to a place where you can receive Jesus. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave a right to become children of God. And I gave you a message that said the best title you will ever get is child of God. It's your best title. It defines you more than any other title out there. Better than husband, better than father. Again, I can be a child of God who's a husband, and I can be a child of God who's a father. 
But again, I'm not a father to everyone. But I can be a child of God. And he says, look, to all who received him, we want you to understand that you have the right to become children of God. Matthew 16, verse 24. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. See, this is what he said. If you're going to be a disciple, if that's the section, if you're going to be a disciple, then he told his disciples, this is what it is. If you want to be one of these disciples, if you want to stay in this role as disciple, then you have to come after him. Joel opened that up with us, that we follow him. That we follow him. That's all a disciple is. We're following the one in front of us. We're following their example. We're following what they do. And so that's what Jesus says. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And Jesus did take his cross to Calvary, where we die to self. And we say, what you want is most paramount. But a disciple says, I must come after him. And our desire in that series, in that six weeks, was to give you a passion to say, I want to be a follower of Jesus. I want to be someone who comes after Jesus, who begins to live a life that looks like his, that I start to to do things that they would do. Again, we spent that time together. From there, we looked at this idea of from being a disciple to looking into God's word. And, and this was so essential for us. Again, to be a disciple is one thing, but to, to be grounded in his word, to be grounded in his word and to know where we stand is so very important. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the vision of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. That is a lot. That is a lot in one passage. The word of God is living and active. And when you begin to be active with this word, it begins to change things. I'm absolutely loving my rooted group on Wednesday night. Do I have any of you here rooted people? Oh, there's Joe. All right, there you go, Rita and Sally. We are just, and, and it's been interesting that, listen, it's not the material that is pushing the people in our rooted group. And for those of you who went rooted, it wasn't necessarily the material. It was God's word coming into you and moving you and changing you and giving you a different perspective. And we've watched God's word in that begin to, to, to change people's perspectives or let them see themselves differently. That's the power of God's word. And again, it starts to dig into who we are and what we're about. We don't want you to be in God's Word because in the sense of just, we just want you to memorize it like somehow it's a textbook. That was never the desire. We want you to be in God's Word because it has the ability to move you and shape you. It begins to expose you. It even calls itself a mirror where you can look into it and see how you stand up. It's called a plumb line to see where you are. It is this beautiful thing that God has given us. And he says that it's living and active. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. This scripture is breathed out by God. God giving it its voice, giving it its depth. And it is useful for those things. Verse 17, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So again, we wanted you to understand that if you're a disciple, one who follows Jesus, what do you do? You begin to sit, and I use the word, if you guys remember, steep. Those tea drinkers were like, yes, one of us. No, I'm not one of you, remember. 
It's all about coffee. You tea drinkers, you just do what you got to do. But we steep in God's word and it begins to come into every part of our lives. And then Matthew 7, 24, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Every one of them who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. So we want you to be in God's word and we want you to begin to be in obedience to God's word. For in doing so, you build this foundation. So in this process, we've been talking about again this, how do we be, have you be equipped? It starts off that you become someone who follows. And by the way, a lot of us started following Christ. We, we, we found salvation before we even understood what Scripture really meant or what prayer really meant or even what servanthood or sacrifice. We just started following. But again, God goes, no, if you want to know me and know my heart, read my word. From there, what we did was we looked at this idea of what it would look like to be a servant. To be a servant. It seems to be a theme that was so important to Christ and how he spoke of it. Because for us to be around those, we have to be a servant. It's an interesting thing that a servant can go anywhere. A servant can go anywhere. When we have an attitude of service, we want to come in and be whatever we can, do, we can be, it breaks down walls. It just does. God says, I want you to be a servant. I want you to be there in people's hurts. I want you to be there to come alongside of them. I heard a story of a girl. We were at a camp. This lady spoke, and she said, I had a neighbor. When I moved in, everyone told me he was the meanest man on the street. No one would ever talk to him. He hated kids, hated dogs, hated everybody. And she didn't know what to do. So she started mowing his lawn. And when he would come out and yell at her for yelling his lawn, she would go, I can't hear you. The lawnmower is too loud. He would stand on the front porch, stop mowing my lawn. I can't hear you. And she'd finish the lawn. And then as she'd turn off the lawnmower, bye. And she'd walk away. Next weekend, she started mowing his lawn. He'd come out yelling, sorry, can't hear you. Lawnmower's too loud. Mowed his lawn. Weekend after weekend, she mowed his lawn. Finally, he walked out in his lawn and says, what are you doing? She just goes, I just want to let you know I love you. That man came to Christ became an elder at her church because someone served someone. And we think it's more complicated than that. It's not. It's not. How do we become a servant? Matthew 20, 26 through 28. Right before this, Jesus is talking about the, how the Gentiles use their, their authority and their power. And he says, it shall not be so among you. Because remember, he's setting up a whole system. He's setting up a whole system and he's looking at his apostles and he goes, listen, very easily you can become authoritative. Very easily you can be my way or the highway. Very easily you can become a power struggle. And so he goes, look, this is what the Gentiles do. But he looks at them, all of them, and says, it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. 
the church works best when its leadership is serving. The church works best when people feel like there's someone reaching into them. One of the things I loved about the equipping service, uh, the equipping conference that we did, was to see all of our elders in this place of trying to teach and be there and to do that because they want to serve you. Verse 27, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. What a, what a heart posture that is. That I would be a slave to you. And verse 28, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life for a ransom for many. If there was anybody who should have been honored and glorified, it was Jesus himself. And yet he washed their feet. There is something so powerful about being a servant. And Jesus modeled it. He just modeled it. So again, we start with, we want you to be a disciple of Christ. We want you to be in his word. And we want you to start to have a servant's heart. It breaks down barriers. John 13, uh, 13, 14 and 15 If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, also you ought to wash one another's feet, for I have given you an example that you should just do as I have done to you. Jesus goes, look, I just gave you the example of what it looks for me as the teacher to come in and serve. He set the example. It's not about power, and it's not about position. It's not about authority. It's trying ever so patiently to love the bride and serve her. We then looked at this idea that if it's going to be a servant, then you have to have a prayer life. You have to have a prayer life. And we, we talk about the fact that prayer is so essential. If you remember, we took you through the Lord's Prayer. We took you through the concept of acts, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. By the way, this is where our prayer wall came from. We gave you different ways in which you could because we want to say to you, prayer looks different for each one of us. Even in my rooted group, it's interesting to watch how everyone is trying to find this time of how they pray because it's different. It's as unique as each one of us is different. But the point is, is that we come to him and prayer puts us in the right posture. I need you. I need you. You're the one with all of the resources. You're the one with all the power. And you're the one that sees where this thing is going. So I need you. Prayer becomes so significant. Philippians 4, 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Do not be anxious about anything. Okay, you're not supposed to raise your hand, but I'm going to ask you to do it. But then I'm going to like make you feel bad for raising your hand right before we do it. Where are my anxious people in here? Okay, the passage says don't be anxious. By the way, doesn't that just help just reading that passage? Doesn't that just make it all better? Right? Have you ever found that way with God's word? It's like there's this word, it's, it's just this, and you go, boy, I'm just so glad I read that. Because the problem is, is that it doesn't, reading that passage has to have us go deeper than just reading that passage. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything. So what's happening in our anxiety, what is God telling us to do? Not that we don't have anxious thoughts, not that we're not in a place of being anxious, but he does give us a path. 
Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication. What we're doing is we're taking this that we think that we're holding on to and we're giving it to the person that should be dealing with it. Right? We're just taking this thing that should be mine, should be, should be um, basically holding me down, and I'm, I'm giving it to the person who can really do something about it. And, and when we do so, and we, we truly do release it to him, which, by the way, is the hard part without dragging it back. When we truly do release it to him, then we can let go of that anxious part of our lives. But it's a hard process to trust him that he will take care of it, to take these heavy-duty things and say, God, here you go. But again, in this process, by prayer and supplication, we bring these things to God. Colossians 4.2, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in, in it with thanksgiving. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. It is praying and watching what God's going to do. watching what God's going to do. And again, the difficulty, by the way, I'm just, as your your pastor, I'm going to tell you what my struggle is. I pray with what I want him to do. God goes, no, I want you to pray and watch what I want to do. But again, I can miss it because I'm looking over here going, God, what I want you to do is this. And God goes, I'm doing something over here, Jeff, and you're not even watching because you're only looking for the one answer you want. Open up your eyes and see that I'm doing something far greater than this in your life. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Verse John, 1 John 5, 14 and 15. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. Meaning... If we know that we have asked within his will, he hears us, and he has already begun to work into those requests. And then how do I give that up and not let anxiety and worry stay with me? So again, as a disciple, what I'm doing is I'm going, God, I'm, I'm yours. I'm following you. I'm, I'm going to let your word, living word, shape my life. I'm going to have a heart that has a servant's heart. I'm going to look for ways to serve those around me. And I'm going to be praying and giving those things over to you because, God, they're too big for me. They're overwhelming for me. Or my, my dreams and what I hope for are so big. And you just give those to him. And finally, we looked at this idea of sacrifice, living a sacrificial life. That it takes this place. And one of the things we did, and by the way, I think this is one of the mistakes a lot of churches make, is it's easy when we say sacrificial to make it about people's money. It's the wrong context. It's not. We worked a long time as a staff and walked through this, the idea of what does it mean to give the best of you. You're the sacrifice. When you fully grasp that it's the best of you, then the money stuff and all the other things, it takes care of itself. And we flip that. And we talked about what does it mean to give the very best of who you are? So let's look at Matthew 16, 25 through 26. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You. And I gave you the illustration of the kid that got into what is the makeshift manger and said, this, I'm his gift. I don't have gold, I have frankincense, I have myrrh, it's me. I'm his gift. 
That's what he's wanting. He wants all of you, the good, the bad, the ugly, the part that you don't want to share with him, those parts he wants. And when we sacrifice all of us, then all of a sudden it changes who we are. And we walked through that together. Verse 26, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? And I'm telling you, the world wants to say to you, oh, this world is so important, this world is so significant, this world is so uh, needed. But I'm telling you, this is all going to burn. And we talked about that in our kingdom series, about the fact that we're sojourners. This is not our home. This is not my kingdom. My kingdom is his kingdom. This is not my nation. I am a part of a holy nation. And I begin to sacrifice in that way. Romans 12, 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. A living sacrifice. All of me, how I work, the job that I do, how I love my spouse, how I love my kids, what I do in my family, that that becomes this act of sacrifice because he wants all of me. And then, yes, if he wants all of me, yes, it will go into our checkbook and other areas of our lives of, of, of what we're going to. But we miss it so much because we twist it. He wants you. And he wants all of you. So, we get to this section. Now, God is calling us to go from being sacrificial. And we want to get to this idea of discipler. See, that's what we're trying to get to. Because at its basis, listen, you're not the only one that's supposed to be found. There are other lost sheep. And they need people who will step up because of God's word, because of their prayer life, because of sacrifice, because they're a servant, will go find more lost people. And will become a discipler for the next five weeks, we are going to be taking you through and trying to unpack this concept of what does it mean for you to be a discipler, to actually cross that line. We as a church in becoming what we called an equipping church have been pushing. We've been pushing in areas of trying to say, how do we equip you? How do you reach your inner circle? Home churches will be paid for next week. How do we do that? By the way, one of our home churches has been doing a soft, uh, a soft launch. Uh, next week, they'll become official. But their first baptism is happening this morning. Their first baptism is happening this morning. Because what's happening is we want to say to people, how do you begin to tell your story? How do you begin to tell those around you? How do you begin to walk into those places and say, this is what this means? Because... As I said, the very last thing I said at the equipping conference, for those of you here, you'll be like, yes, he said that. For those who weren't here, you get to hear it for the first time. We've all seen the kid that we want them to go onto the diving board and jump off, right? Have you ever seen that kid? They creep out to the end of the board. You guys all know what we're talking about. And what are you saying in your heart? You're going, what? Jump! <laughs> right? Because you know that whatever fears they have, once they leave that board, they'll get the thrill of the fall, right? Realize that water is not concrete. Enjoy the thrill of that, and for the most part, they get out and do it again. Does that make sense? We as a staff and we as a leadership, 
want to say to so many of you, that, like, could I really reach my inner circle? Could I really reach my neighbor? Could I really mow my neighbor's lawn? We're saying you, we, we can see you. Your toes are hanging over the board and we want to say jump. But for many of us, we've gotten to the edge. It's too scary. What will they say? And they're going to laugh at me. And I don't, I don't want to embarrass God. I don't want to embarrass myself. I don't want to embarrass my family. I don't know how to answer the questions. They're going to ask me something I won't know the answer to. And so we walk back and down the ladder. And you know that you're like, I was right there. I was going to do it. And somehow this whole thing takes place. Listen to me. This next five weeks, this is your staff and your leadership saying, jump. Jump. He will use you. We've talked about that, that he will put the words in your mouth. He will make it open for you to speak to people. That doesn't mean everyone you talk to is going to be a follower of Christ. But it means he will use your gift in how you speak to plant seeds, to water, and yes, maybe harvest. That's our desire. Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Now, here's what's interesting. It says, go therefore and make disciples. Here's the thing. That is the great commission. Go there and make disciples. So that if you're making disciples, then you are a disciple-er, right? But he is saying that to his disciples. So it's, it's, it's this circle. A disciple is being told, go make disciples, which will make them into a disciple-er. Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them. What are you going to teach them? The Word teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. What has he commanded to? He's commanded us to be a servant. He's commanded us to sacrifice. He's commanded us to pray. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You're not alone. You're not alone. Last night, uh, Zach had to clean out his rabbit's cage. We have a rabbit. Don't ask me about it right now, but we have a rabbit. And he had to clean out his cage. And during the day, going to the trash can is not a big deal, but we live in Sonol. When it's dark at night, it is dark. You understand what I'm saying? It is dark. Zach knows that. So I'm sitting on the couch, and Zach goes by and he goes, I'm going out to uh, throw out the rabbit droppings. And I know what he wanted, but I was like, "Uh (laughs) uh-huh. Don't you want to come? At that moment, I wanted to say, nope. I said, sure. As we got out there, he goes, it's kind of dark. I go, yeah, it is. But the trash can's still in the same place it is when it's the daytime. Went over to my truck, turned on the lights, shined the lights in there, made it all better for him, right? And he did it. But I will say he did clean it out faster than he normally does in the daytime. You guys understand what I'm saying? Run. We have a God that will go with us and help us. He's not sending us out and saying, hope it works out well. He gets our fears. He gets our concerns. He, he gets that we see things in the nighttime. But he says, I'm with you to the very end of the age. 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. This verse, by the way, is going to come up a few times in the next uh, couple of weeks. 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. And what you have heard from me, in the presence of many witnesses, and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. If you break this, pers- this verse apart, it is everything we've been talking about for 36 weeks. 
And what you have heard from me, so you've heard the gospel, you've heard the word, you've been praying, you've been doing these things. What you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, by the way, I had a guy that did the math um, uh, on someone, let's say, that started going to church when he was, let's say, uh, 16 years old. By the time they are uh, in their 40s, they have a doctorate's degree in how many lectures they've sat in. Does that make sense? Think about it. You go to school for four years, sit in lectures, go to class, everything else, studies. But we don't, we think, oh, I just came to study. No, you have been trained. You have heard more. You've forgotten more than you've heard. Amen? All right, here we go. And what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, listen, entrust to faithful men. What do we do? We tell others. That's entrusting it to faithful men. We pass it along. We are a discipler. We say, this is what I've learned. Who will be able, what? To teach others also. So what are they doing? They're taking that same message that they heard, and they're passing it. That, by the way, is how the church has grown all these years. I'm here because Ed and Sharon Harris, when I was a young child, started telling me the truth of Jesus Christ. Baptized at eight years old at Parker Heights Christian Church. Why? Because they took what they heard, taught it to me. So did my Sunday school teachers. Remember, I was a, uh, a whirly bird. Anyone else was a whirly bird? Okay, forget it. It's a dark time in my past. But the idea is, is that in doing so, hopefully I took that, grew in that, and then handed it off. So, why are we doing this? Because our goal is that you would be a disciple, that you would then be in God's word, that you would then be a servant, that you would then have a life of prayer, that you would have a life of sacrifice, and yes, you become a discipler. We want to equip you. And for the next part of this series, till we're done right before our, Christmas, our, our holiday season, we hope that you will feel the urge, listen, to jump. To jump and begin to reach into the lives of those around you, those 8 to 15 people. Share with them what you've been taught. Pray for them. Model for them. Serve them. Sacrifice for them. That they too may be found. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I would ask that you would be with this church as we take in this message that you have called us, Father, to always be a disciple, but you've given us so much that we would then turn around and share what we have, this good news with those who need it so desperately. Forgive us when we talk ourselves out of it. Forgive us when we don't step off the board and believe that you will do amazing things for us, through us, Father, if we'll allow you to. So, Father, I would just ask that you would just let this message have its place. And I ask that you, Father, would work through what is happening here at Cedars to move forward as we see home churches spring up and as we see small groups and Rudy continue on, all these things would it give you glory. And Father, I just give you that today and for the days to come. I thank you and I love you in Jesus' name. Amen.